Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, a Commons committee hears that Stephen Harper's office looked into rumors of inappropriate behavior against the former Chief of Defence Staff, Jonathan Vance, before his appointment. What were the concerns and why did the appointment go ahead? And MPs will be here to discuss the latest developments. Canada sanctions Chinese officials suspected of persecuting the Uyghur Muslims. On a day when the second Michael, Michael Kovrig, is tried in China on spying charges, but no verdict is announced. What's next for the two Michaels as the international diplomatic protest builds against China? And our panel of journalists on Aaron O'Toole's Big Gamble, election timing, and more. We'll begin tonight with new developments in the ongoing investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct against the former Chief of the Defence Staff, Jonathan Vance. The House of Commons Defence Committee today heard from Ray Novak, the Chief of Staff to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Novak told the committee that prior to Vance's appointment in 2015, the highest ranks of the government looked into rumours that Vance had been engaged in a relationship with a subordinate at CFB Gagetown in New Brunswick and tried to advance her career. As for the Gagetown rumor, the National Security Advisor briefed the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister's office that there was nothing in DND's files, no record of a complaint, and no current or former investigation. The NSA also briefed that he had discussed the rumor directly with General Vance, who responded that he had been in a public relationship with the named individual at the time, that this person did not report to him, and he denied improperly acting to further her career. Well, let's bring in three MPs now to discuss the latest developments on this story. Anita Vandenbell is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of National Defence. James Bazan is the defence critic for the official opposition Conservatives, and Randall Garrison is the defence critic for the NDP. It's good to see you all again. Thanks for being with me. Uh, Anita Vandenbell, let me start with you. We heard today from Ray Novak how uh, the Prime Minister at the time, Stephen Harper, got personally involved in asking General Vance about allegations of misconduct and that the Prime Minister's National Security Advisor was tasked with ensuring Vance's past actions were examined before he was appointed Chief of Staff. Uh, what did you take from that and how does that compare with how your government has dealt with the newest allegations against uh, from the former military ombudsman? And he tried to bring those to, to the Defence Minister who said he didn't want the details. So compare those two responses. Well, th thank you very much. And uh, I think what we heard today was confirmation that the correct process when uh, these kinds of rumors or allegations come forward was to bring them to PCO. And uh, you mentioned the National Security Advisor. That's within PCO. So in both cases, the allegations were taken to PCO and they were taken there for an investigation. What we learned new today is that, in fact, and we heard this from Prime Minister Harper's former chief of staff, yeah. that Aaron O'Toole, who was then the Veterans Affairs Minister, was it had information about Major Brennan. And I think that's a big difference because if you recall, Minister Sajjan was as shocked as the rest of us. And I think all of us who watched Major Brennan's interview were completely taken aback. All right, to be, um, to be clear for, for the audience, so Major, Major Brennan is uh, the woman who says she, she was involved with uh, General Vance 
uh, as uh, someone who was a subordinate to him when he was at CFB Gagetown. Uh, he denies there was any impropriety. She says there was, in fact, a sexual relationship uh, that lasted many years. So, uh, all right. So Mr. O'Toole's uh, chief of staff, actually, is the one who brought uh, the rumor of this allegation uh, to uh, the chief of staff of the prime minister. And that started a ball rolling to check into it. So, Mr. Bazan, even... So let me let me move to Mr. Bazan here. So what about that? I mean, e even after the rumors, it seems to me, you know, that uh, uh, the checks and the investigations of General Vance, the Harper government, and you were still part of it, still appointed General Vance to the job in 2015. Was that a mistake? I think uh, in the testimony we heard today from Ray Novak is that in hindsight, you know, if, if it was 2020 and if all the allegations had, had uh, been proven, uh, he would never have, you know, Harper would have never appointed uh, General Vance as CDS. <clears throat> you know, I think it's important to, to contrast the way it was handled under the previous Conservative government, that allegations were brought forward, uh, that, you know, a chief of staff brought it to the Prime Minister's chief of staff, who then went to the National Security Advisor in PCO, who was in charge of the vetting process to look at the national security risk and to ensure that there was an investigation. And of course, that national security advisor was Dick Fadden, who used to be the deputy minister of national defense and was the director of CSIS. Okay. So uh, very credible individual, dived down deep, had all the tools at his disposal. We never heard once from Minister Sajan or from uh, the, the, the deputy clerk of uh, cabinet uh, Janine Sherman, that they turned any of this over to the National Security Advisor in the PCO. So despite they, what you hear from the Liberals in their cover-up, they never took these allegations seriously, despite the fact, and again, do, doing the, uh, the, the comparison, okay. a, a rumor came in, you have the, actually the Chief of, uh, of Staff handing that rumor over to uh, the National Security Advisor. All right, let, Minister Sajan is pre presented with that evidence. He pushes away from the table and Mr. runs for the hills. Mr. Garrison, what did, you, what, what did you hear today that you think moves this story forward? Well, I, I think it is quite distressing to know that two prime ministers and two ministers of defense knew that there were serious allegations of sexual misconduct against General Vance, yet he was appointed, his appointment was extended, he was given a pay raise and he was left in charge of the Canadian forces as the chief of defense staff. I think there is a difference between what happened uh, in 2015 when at least there was an attempt to investigate uh, and, and what happened more recently in 2018 and beyond, where clearly we haven't heard any explanation from Minister Sajjan about why he didn't want to see the evidence. Nobody was asking for him to conduct an investigation. Mm -hmm. The ombudsman came to him and said, I, I have proof here that there's a serious inquiry needed, and he didn't want to hear it. And if he'd asked for it, he also could have had the evidence from the previous investigations. He didn't ask for it. Right. Uh, okay, Nina Vanderbilt, let me, let me bring you back in on that. Uh, we did hear, or we have heard Mr. Sajjan's version of events, and he, he, he went the next day and brought that information to uh, PCO, and, and PCO and the PMO were then involved uh, in the conversation. And so what... I mean, is that we, what we heard, what we saw in the, in the Harper years is they, they, uh, they went from there. Uh, they didn't let it drop at the fact that the military ombudsman didn't want to say anymore. They went back to DND. They went to everybody involved in the investigation, pressed to find out more details about what was going on with General Vance. Isn't that a difference here? 
And, and actually, in terms of process, no. Um, what you heard was clearly from Mr. Novak today. Politicians should not be doing investigations, neither should their staff. So Minister Sajjan brought we this to PCO. To officials. PCO tried to get the email. And remember the difference here. In 2018, we're talking about, and we know now through the media, we're talking about an inappropriate email that was sent in 2012. And PCO tried to get a copy of that email or the name of the person. They tried for a number of months. You saw that the minister's office circled back with Mr. Walborn. But when you haven't got the permission of the person, you haven't got the email or the name. It's a very different thing than when you have a long-going, uh, long-standing relationship like right. Major Brand. Minister Sajjan was very clear. He was as shocked as everybody else about Major Brennan. That is a completely different thing. And it was before uh, General Vance was appointed, which means that they knew about a what is alleged to be a longstanding, inappropriate relationship before the appointment that wasn't the one that was about his wife, who okay. was currently his wife. Uh, all right. We had email, and there was no copy of the email. The same process. Okay, Mr. Mr. Bazan, I'm going to move to you here. The, the, we, we, we did also heard today that the, the, we have seen the, the documents that uh, the Prime Minister approved a, uh, a, a pay bonus increase for, uh, for, for General Vance. Um, what, was that the wrong thing to do? Definitely. If you look at the way we handled our investigation in 2015 and, and everything, you know, including interviewing and questioning General Vance uh, at right, right, right personally, uh, to the way uh, the Liberals handled it in 2018, what's the just what wiped their hands of it and, and did a cover up, you know, to have that these allegations hanging over General Vance's head. And then for them to not only give them a, a, a big pay raise in, in 2019, knowing the fact that these allegations were out there, but they extended his contract for another three years. Now, that speaks to me that, that you know, they just didn't care about the optics. They didn't care about the victims and would rather keep the general in place to do their bidding, uh, which he had done uh, up until that point in okay, time. Mr. So it, it, it is... It is you know, so unfortunate that we know that the minister knew, we knew that his chief of staff knows, yeah. we can only assume that the chief of staff to the prime minister knew and that the prime minister knew himself. Mr. Garrison had really went ahead and approved this in cabinet to give a big $50,000 raise. Mr. Over. Garrison, how do you view this order in council a bonus paid to General Vance? Well, well, I'm much more concerned about the fact that they extended his contract and let him stay as chief of defense staff and supposedly the one in charge of rooting out sexual misconduct in the Canadian military, knowing about these allegations. I just want to go back, though, to the process question. The difference between 2015 and 2018 is that no one did anything in 2018. No one even opened his file to look in it and see, oh, my gosh, we've actually had previous allegations. Maybe we better take this more seriously. So I'm not sure the liberal defense of the minister is actually going to hold water because then you have to move to the PCO and ask how come PCO didn't do a real investigation and that's going to lay at the feet of the Prime Minister. All right, uh, look at uh, Anita Vanderbilt will come back. We're going to have a chance to revisit this because our, our time is tight tonight but uh, there's still lots of questions. I know the committee hearings continue so we're going to have a chance to uh, revisit where this investigation this committee inquiry goes and uh, we'll have you back at that time. Thank you all for uh, joining me tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Canada is slapping sanctions on Chinese officials for their suspected persecution of the Muslim minorities in China. Today, Canada, the European Union, 
the United Kingdom and the United States imposed sanctions in response to the repression of Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities in Xinjiang. These measures reflect our grave concern with the gross and systematic human rights abuses taking place in the region. We will continue to work closely with our international partners to pursue accountability and transparency. The move comes as China concluded the brief trial today of Michael Kovrig on charges of espionage. But the verdict was not announced, just as was the case last Friday for the speedy trial of Michael Spavor. Both men have been detained in China for more than two years. They were arrested just after Canada detained Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou on a U.S. extradition warrant. At today's trial, diplomats from 26 countries, including the United States, showed up at the courthouse in a show of solidarity for the Canadians. No one except Kovrig and his Chinese lawyer were allowed into the proceedings. Guy Saint-Jacques is a former Canadian ambassador to China. He joins me now. Mr. Saint-Jacques, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me tonight. Thank you for the invitation. Look, let me start by asking you about the nature of these trials against the two Canadians and the lack of transparency, the lack of access granted to Canadian diplomats or journalists. Is that standard practice in China or is this the level of secrecy? Uh, is it particularly unusual and part of this ongoing diplomatic fight between Canada and China? Well, I, based on my experience, I think it's a pretty standard practice to... Uh, prevent a representative from uh, an embassy to attend a trial where uh, supposedly uh, the evidence will include the state secrets. And so we went through that uh, with a similar case that took place in 2016. Mm -hmm. In this case, uh, for both Mr. Spaver and Mr. Kovrig, uh, uh, consular officials were not allowed in the room. And by our standards, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, this is a travesty of justice because when you accuse someone of spying and this person could be subject to a life sentence, you would expect that there would be a thorough review of the evidence and that it would be shared with the defense. Well, in this case, we know that in the case of Mr. Spaver, it took only two hours to get through the process. In the case of Mr. Kovic, it took a bit longer, although we don't know exactly how long the right. trial went on. But the uh, and it, it was all preordained because according to figures released by the Chinese Supreme Court, once you are formally charged in China, you are uh, found guilty 99.7 percent of the time. So now it's just a question to get a, a confirmation of a, a guilty verdict. And then I think we have to brace ourselves for a very harsh uh, sentence that, in my view, will be ended uh, pretty soon because uh, China will want to use this to put further, further pressure on Canada and the United States. Uh, and they will say, uh, if you want to free uh, the two Canadians, you know what you have to do, return Mrs. Mount to China. Some people suggest that, that once the sentence is handed down, that, that might provide some kind of a, a diplomatic opening uh, whereby the two Michaels could get returned. Tell me how you think that could work. Uh, yes, in a way, uh, at, at least it, it brings clarity because uh, you know what. Uh, but uh, let's remember that uh, uh, you know the uh, the one condition, the the, the the basic condition that has been put by China is the return of Mrs. Mm -hmm. Bank. In uh, 2016, when I, when I was involved in the negotiations to uh, get Mr. Uh, Kevin uh, Garrett back to Canada. Things were less difficult in as much as Premier Li Keqiang was planning to visit 
Canada in uh, September 2016, right after the visit of uh, the first visit of Prime Minister Trudeau to China. And at the time, China wanted to conclude a free trade agreement with Canada. It would have been the first with a G7 country. Mm -hmm. And of course, we told them we won't start these negotiations as long as Mr. Garrett is in jail. So in this case, I think that, yes, once the sentence has been uh, uh, announced, uh, China will not be able to tell us any longer, don't ask us to intervene into a legal process. And uh, we will have to negotiate, but I expect those negotiations to be very difficult. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, unfortunately, that could result in uh, Mr. Spaver and Mr. Korik uh, spending a, a lot more time in uh, Chinese jails. Canada announced today, uh, along with uh, uh, Great Britain and uh, the United States, uh, European Union, sanctions against four high-ranking Chinese officials for their suspected role in persecuting Uyghur Muslims in China. What effect could that action by Canada, those sanctions, could that have a, uh, an, uh, an effect on the fate of the two Michaels? I don't think it will have an impact on the on the fate of the two Michaels. I think the the policy that was followed by the uh, by Ottawa until uh, just a few months ago was to, to avoid doing anything that would antagonize uh, the regime over there. But I think they have to to conclude that in fact this has led to absolutely no progress with regard to the fate of the. Uh, uh, the two Michaels. And separately, I would say that uh, last year especially, we have learned a lot more about what's going on in uh, China in terms of repression, especially the genocide in uh, Xinjiang, the uh, denying of democracy in uh, Hong Kong, uh, repression in Tibet, uh, uh, the, the poor management of the pandemic at the outset. And I think for all those reasons, the the challenge now for democratic uh, countries and to say, well, uh, how do we want to be judged by history? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is against our values. Okay. And I think that the, it was inevitable that we would have uh, such movement. It's no longer possible to give the benefit of the doubt uh, to China. I just have about 30 seconds left here, but what, what, what do you make of the large show of international diplomats standing side by side with Canada uh, trying to press for the release of the, of the two Michaels? Does that... How will the Chinese view that? Will that make a difference? Well, <clears throat> that, together with the sanctions today, will tell them that, in fact, uh, you know, we have crossed a very important bridge today and that now they, they can be subject to more and more uh, reaction from the international community. Uh, I think that other diplomats in, uh, in Beijing uh, felt uh, a personal link with, especially with uh, Michael Kovrig, who used to be uh, a diplomat himself mm -hmm. in Beijing. And so uh, this was the worst fear for the, uh, the Chinese regime that uh, Western countries, the democracies would gang up on them. Uh, you know, I think that China left us no choice but to take common measures. And I would expect that other countries will join uh, the movement and impose their own sanctions. All right, Guy Saint-Jacques, always good to get your uh, perspective. Thanks again tonight. Thanks for the invitation. Time now to bring in our panel of parliamentary journalists. Uh, Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Joël Denis Bellavance, parliamentary bureau chief for La Presse. And John Iveson, columnist for the National Post and parliamentary bureau chief for Post Media. Uh, good to see you all again this week. Uh, Susan, leading into the Conservative convention, Aaron O'Toole was telling his critics to, look, back off, make the virtual convention a positive pivot point for the party, heading into an election sometime, uh, sometime soon. How did Aaron O'Toole emerge from that conservative gathering? Well, uh, generously, I'd say mixed. 
Um, his Friday night speech, I saw John and I were both tweeting about that. Uh, I thought the speech was very well crafted, well delivered, um, uh, made a strong case and was actually uh, a bit brave, you know, to walk into virtually a room full of thousands of conservatives and say, you know, the way you are right now, you're not so, we've got to change. Uh, the problem was that his own party then made that really unfortunate vote, uh, climate change, voting down the phrase climate change is real. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're saying it's not climate denial, but it took, I think the Liberals set a new land speed record today in question period. Uh, first question up was not on climate at all, and Liberals answered it with climate change is real. They, every... Every question had some yeah. reference to liberals liking science. We had, we had a minister at a committee today before the hearing began saying, uh, I want to know where you all stand on climate change. Is it real or not? Uh, yeah. So, J.D., let me let me pivot to you. As Susan points out, liberals wasting no time trying to capitalize on this apparent divide in conservatives over whether climate change is real or not. How big of a problem is this for Aaron O'Toole? And I suppose, especially in Quebec, where he hopes to be making inroads. It, it was a big deal in Quebec. Everybody talked about this and the... People were asking whether the next question that will be asked to the Conservative Party, whether the earth is flat and what kind of answer we'll get on this one. So um, it, 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 the Conservatives' credibility took a hit. But to repair that, I think the only way to do it would be to, for Aaron O'Toole to announce what would be his environmental plan way ahead of the election so he can fix that problem that he's got on his hands right now. Uh, John, what's your view on that? And, and what's the challenge for Aaron O'Toole here if the party's... Uh, offside with him on, on, on this idea that they need a change and he's trying to pull them with him. How big of a challenge is he going to have here? Well, I think it's a huge challenge and I think he's culpable in creating it, to be frank. Uh, you know, he ran as a true blue conservative, convinced a lot of the social conservatives to support him. And then once he'd won the leadership, did an about turn and he's come up with uh, policies that, that any red Tory would support. And his real problem was that Having abandoned the social conservatives, he's also frozen out and even purged many of the red Tories who supported uh, Peter McKay. Mm -hmm. That includes MPs, it includes political staffers and ordinary party members. I mean, I heard from ordinary party members saying, I didn't want to go to this convention, I didn't want to be a delegate because I knew I wasn't welcome. So the very people who might have got him out of this jam, he made unwelcome. So therefore, he's got a, a, a problem of his own making that he's going to resolve. And I, and I think J.D.'s point yeah. about coming out with the environmental plan early is, is, is a good one. Yeah, if not, right, he, he risks having weeks go by here uh, with the, uh, the Liberals in particular, but opposition parties uh, defining where the Conservatives are in climate change uh, before he even gets his own plan out the door. Susan, let, let's shift the gears here and talk about uh, China. And the, we know the story of the two Michaels. Canada uh, imposing uh, sanctions today on four uh, high-ranking Chinese officials. Do you detect any kind of a change in the way Canada is now dealing with China after a couple of years here of trying to tread very delicately around the two Michael situations? Are we seeing a change? Yeah, de very definitely. We've been seeing it for a while now. Uh, the you know uh, Trudeau using the word "trumped up charges," which I don't think he would have used had the last president still be in office. Um, but I, I think it, it is the combination of the trials happening, if you want to call them trials. I, I wonder how you can have a show trial without a show, but I think that's what these were. Um, and, and also, I think you see Canada acting in concert with other countries, and that's the result of Biden being in. You, you know, there was the big mm -hmm. summit last week. 
with the United States and uh, and China up in Anchorage, and and an increasingly uh, combative tone there. So I think Canada feels now that the international action it has always wanted on China, it has a better friend in the White House to do that. And um, we've been seeing that in all kinds yeah. of ways. John, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my question was, where was our ambassador outside the, both trials of, of both men? Um, it's not a, just an academic point. I mean, to me, if you're the ambassador, you should be very visible and very vocal on these issues. And the problem with Dominic Barton is when he's been vocal, he's been saying we should be getting closer to China. And as recently as September, he was advocating that uh, there were business opportunities in China and Canadian businesses should take advantage of that. So, you know, I think our policy is shifting. It's not clear to me that our ambassador's views are shifting. Yeah. Joel Denis, let me let me ask you about this and what, what you see in, in Canada's China China policy. And is, are, are, are we taking a different approach now? And, and maybe it has something to do with uh, we tried one approach for two years and it's not making any uh, dent in the relationship or having any effect on, on the Chinese, it would seem. So time to try something else. I think so. We might see a crescendo of uh, pressure coming from Canada. Now, we, you mentioned the sanctions against high, uh, high, high ranking Chinese officials. The next step would be to ban officially Huawei from get, uh, being able to develop the 5G technology in Canada. I think mm. that would be the logical step. And if we come to that, then we could say that Canada is getting serious about its relationship with China. Let me stay with you quickly here. Uh, Prime Minister in Quebec again today, two weeks in a row. A big funding announcement, this one for broadband today. He and Francois Legault side by <laughs> side. I mean, if, if that bromance is building, can the election call be far behind? I think that's a good uh, sign that something is cooking, being cooked up uh, and probably a more serious inclination of the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, for an election this spring. And now uh, people see it as a very critical way to be able to secure a majority of seats by winning more seats in Quebec. And that you, you can't have um, um, uh, François Legault knocking uh, against you during the election campaign, and that's what the prime minister is trying to eliminate uh, François Legault as being a possible adversary in the mm. uh, federal election. So that's uh, something to watch. I would also watch what uh, what Don Dogford will do in Ontario. Will Mr. Trudeau try to neutralize also any uh, uh, involvement of Dogford in future? federal elections, that remains to be okay. seen. So much depends on the vaccine rollout and where it is a, a couple of months from now, Susan. But does it feel like the drum beats picking up towards a spring election here? It feels like it. Yeah, I, I think, as you said, much depends on, on needles in arms. And I think J.D. is right. Um, I was watching that conservative convention to see where was Doug Ford? Where was Jason mm -hmm. Kenney? Where were, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I've seen a conservative convention lacking big conservatives. And I'm sure the Liberals noticed that too. So the time to strike would be um, on the heels of that convention when the party, despite what it says, looks divided. All right, John, last 30 seconds for you here. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think that, the, that Trudeau might like to have an election right now. Uh, the numbers look pretty good for him, although they're a little bit soft. I mean, I think that the NDP are probably... Uh, if, if, if there was an election, it wouldn't be a disaster for them. And I think the bloc are looking OK, but the Conservatives are not. So his problem might be uh, finding a... He, he needs to find a dance partner, uh, Trudeau. He needs to alienate all of them if he wants to, to go down in his budget, for example. Yeah. But, uh, but I think for the Conservatives, wait until, uh, wait until the, the pandemic is passed and hope that you can be like... Uh, 
Clement Attlee in 1945 in Britain and defeating Winston Churchill. Okay. That's about his only chance. Okay, thank you all. Uh, good to talk to you tonight. We'll talk again soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. From all of us here at CPAC, I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. See you next time.